following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Are you judgmental? Good. This is for you today. If you're judgmental, if you disdain others for their choices and convictions, their opinions, you need what I'm going to preach today as much as I do. Is your mouth quick to criticize? Do you look down on others unmercifully? Do you remember what everyone did to you but aren't aware of what you've done to them? Are you keeping score or are you keeping peace? Do you have like a microscope or a magnifying glass on everyone's perceived faults? So you do need this. God wants us to be less judgmental and more loving and kind and gracious. He wants us to accept one another. That's what we're going to see today in Romans 14, 1 through 12. So if you're able, I want you to stand with me as I read God's word. I'm going to read Romans 14, verses 1 through 12, which tells us, do not judge one another. And this passage has been like a stethoscope on my heart this week. I hope it is the same for you. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld... For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts today. And it would affect our homes. It will affect this church. It would affect even relationships to the ends of the earth. As we live out your gospel glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 is a good place to start when you're thinking about judging or not judging. Jesus gives advice uh, to navigate the tricky waters of human relationships, and he says in Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you not be judged. Judge not that you not be judged. He said, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And here Jesus is saying, you know, don't be hypercritical, but be critical enough to not be led astray by those who do evil, or those who don't know any better, or those who have uh, unholy motives. But he also is telling us, if you want to straighten them out, don't do it. Be silent. And if you want them to be restored, then speak gently in love. Matthew 7 on judging is probably the most misunderstood. Here's the common usage, and it's selfish. Hey, don't judge me. That's what we'll say, right? Hey, you have no right to judge me. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7. But it's a misapplication of Jesus' words. It's using uh, the Bible as a club to, to fend off unwanted scrutiny. What Jesus is saying here is do not judge wrongly. And he's saying that what others do is not your worry. What you do is your worry. What I do is my worry. See, our problem is how we judge others. Uh, the flashing caution lights here, judge at your own risk. When Jesus says judge not, he's not saying never judge. He's saying be careful that you don't judge wrongly. In John chapter 7, verse 24, there were those who were angry with Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And he told them, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. John Bloom said, right judgment is charitably quick to believe innocence, charitably slow to pronounce guilt, charitably redemptive when it must be, charitably silent, if at all possible. Romans 14, 1 to 12, tells us, do not judge one another. The idea behind it is that believers are not to judge other believers wrongly, but instead, we are to welcome each other, we are to accept one another. And this passage gives a two-way exhortation. I know when you come to a passage like this, you're already thinking about all the people that need to hear this message because they're so judgmental. Forget them. Don't think about them. Think about your heart. Think about how you're so judgmental. There's a two-way exhortation here. There's a correction. There are two sides are in error. Both are being unloving. Both have work to do. And what this passage shows us is why we should accept, not judge, one another in the body of Christ. Why we should accept, not judge one another. And there are three Christ-honoring reasons we see in this passage. How everyone should welcome and accept other believers instead of despising them, judging them, and rejecting them. The first Christ-honoring reason is, is this, that every believer is accepted by God. Every Christian is accepted by God. You see this in verses 1 through 4. Look at verse 1. It starts this way, as for the one who is weak in faith. Now, immediately you read this, 
and you're thinking about all the people that you think are weak in faith, because of course, you're in the strong category, right? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now we need to understand what weak in faith means. Literally in the Greek it reads, weak in the faith. You can really put quotes around weak and quotes around strong in this passage. Weak in the faith literally means this, that your faith is weak at a given moment, in a special situation, in a special case. This is not a a weak Christian that doesn't understand the gospel. This, This is someone who hasn't fully understood or grasped the full implications of their freedom in Christ. And that could be someone legalistic. Who, who wants to have a rule about everything for everyone and thinks they can't do certain things. It could be someone licentious who thinks anything goes, I have freedom in Christ, I can do whatever I want. Here, the, the weak category was mostly Jewish Christians in the context. They knew that salvation was by faith in Christ alone. They weren't shaky on that. They had assurance of salvation. They were were convicted and convinced of the truth of the gospel. That was not the issue here. These are genuine Christians who are weak on food and days. Weak on food and days. And they're not telling everyone that these practices that they either do or don't do were necessary for salvation. There is no hint that they're attempting to impose these standards on anyone else. The issue here is that the weak lacked assurance that they could eat all foods or the conviction that every day was the same. And the strong would say, oh, it's all fine. But I want you to notice something right off the bat. There is no injunction here for the weak to become strong or the strong to become weak. The idea here is hold your own convictions. Hold your own convictions and don't impose them on anyone else and don't disdain or judge anyone for theirs. There is no command here to change. There's freedom in Christ tempered by the word of God. So it says instead of judging or or quarreling, welcome them. Bring them in, accept them. And that's more than put up with. There's a lot of Christians that will say, well, I'm just going to put up with them. They really annoy me. I don't like their their opinions. I don't like their ideas. I don't like their choices. I'm just going to put up with them. In the context of this word, it literally means you welcome them into fellowship and relationship. You don't shun them. You don't just put up with them. You welcome them warmly into the family circle, into the body of Christ. This is like Priscilla and Aquila helping Apollos, they they welcomed him into their home. They invited him in. This is like Paul telling Philemon to welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me, Philemon 17. The welcome here is in the present tense. It means welcome them and keep on welcoming them. This is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing attitude of, of fellowship. It's an attitude of togetherness, of unity, of oneness. This is vastly different than, than a lot of believers live. We get ourselves in these you know, unsocial bubbles, and we say, I'm just going to come to church, I'm going to you know, put my, ear pods on, I'm, my AirPods on, I'm just going like, to listen to the sermon, uh, sing the songs, but not talk to anyone. 
And it's okay because it's about me and Jesus. You've got the body of Christ wrong. By the way, someone asked me this morning before first service, are you going to bring the fire and brimstone? I'm like, I'm bringing the word of God. Whatever it does to your heart, let God do it. You might be comforted by it. You might be challenged by it. You might be corrected by it. Allow the spirit of God to have its way in your heart that you would actually go, hey, hey, Lord, I'll take whatever you want to bring my way today. Whatever you've intended for me, I'll, I'll receive it. Now, to accept each other, it literally means to, to take to oneself, to, to, um, to bring in. This is used of God helping us. Uh, it's used of us receiving others into fellowship and friendship. Welcome one another. And you notice verse 1, it says, welcome him. And then look over in chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this is an important thing in life in the body of Christ. And it says to welcome them, not to quarrel with them, not for the purpose of arguing over their opinions, not to like bring them into your little spider web and, and basically correct them or confront them or change them. You welcome them in without ulterior motives. Don't use the welcome as an opportunity to judge them over controversial matters. Uh, don't use it as an excuse for a fight. Do you see where this is going? You see how this is kind of zeroed in on our hearts? Here's what, here's what they were to understand back then and we understand now. God is reestablishing his rule over the world by his anointed king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And a harmonious local church is proof of that work of God. That's the proof. So he wants the church fired up by a vision of, of a united church showing what God is like in Christ. The church displaying the gospel truth and doing so before a frustrated and, and failing and, and uh, weak and frail creation. Where people are just grasping for straws left and right. And then to do this, we have to admit our own issues. Don't come in here today thinking you're going to admit everyone else's issues. This is the problem that this passage is trying to solve. Realize the vision of God's glory through a united church uh, where, where we don't please ourselves, where we actually live for the glory of God. That is our highest aim and that we are working for one another's good. Now, I know... Things are not always as they seem, right? Things are not always as they seem. And, and it looks like, it looks like when you look at this, you're like, well, I want to be strong and not weak. And it looks like the strong would be judging the weak, but it's the other way around. The strong is exor are exhorted to accept the weak and not quarrel over their opinions. The weak are told, don't judge the strong. Now, it's unfortunate the way we use weak and strong. We use it as, you know, plus and minus, positive and negative, good or bad, and we're like, well, we don't want to be weak, Nobody wants to be called weak. Everybody wants to be thought of as strong. That's not, you would be misunderstanding this passage if, if you put it in those categories. What weak and strong are describing are the consciences of believers. And it's not that if you have a weak conscience or a strong conscience, you're good or bad. But what we're seeing here is that God accepts both parties, and is not telling them to be different, but is telling the church to welcome each other. Do you see where this is going? 
right? This is the, the consciences of believers with regard to things that God has not stipulated in his word. Because if God has stipulated in the word, you don't get to pick and choose what you're going to accept or what you're going to do. That might be a little bit of a surprise for some of you. You're like, I thought I got to do that. No, you don't get to do that. We're under the word of God. We're under the authority of God. We don't get to pick and choose what we like or dislike. We accept the word of God in context, the way it's meant, not the way we or our culture wants it to be, but we receive the word of God. So if God has stipulated it, you've got to do that. But there are a lot of things where you just get to make a choice. It's like love Jesus and do as you please. Love Jesus and just do what you want as long as you're, you're wanting to please God and following the word of God and not, not twisting the word of God. But this is where we usually judge or look down on each other, on these, these things that we're free to choose. We don't like other people's choices because they don't make the same choice as us. And so we feel insecure about our choice and we feel like we have to put their choice down because we want to be right. But being a believer is not about being right it's about glorifying God, right? So it's, it's wrong to judge. We see this in verse one. It's wrong to judge when you disagree over doubtful things. Not doctrinal issues, doubtful things. Things that you can just choose what you want to do. Because verse two tells us one person believes he made anything. So they're unhindered by the relics of their pagan past or even their Jewish past. But the weak person eats only veggies, there's your vegetarian right there. Uh, and they have a conviction about it. But it says that both are acting in faith. The context, some believers who think they should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. Some are saying, what's the big deal? Have a bacon sandwich. See, Romans 14 is not about doctrinal differences. It's about tenderhearted conscience. It's about things not instructed or commanded or prohibited in the Bible. Now, a lot of times we need to repent of mishandling the scriptures, but this is not that. Now, a lot of times we need to repent of unlove and harshness. That is what this is. When we look down on someone or we judge them because they don't choose what we choose, and what this passage is telling us is God's fine with them. God's fine with their choice. Why are you so worried about it? You have to ask the question, why am I so worried about that person's choice. They're not breaking the word of God. The Bible doesn't say not to do that. The Bible is, is clear on, on this, that, and the other, but not on this one. God is fine with them. Why am I trying to play God in their life? This is not about anything scripture commands or prohibits. This is about matters of conscience, and some have too tender of a conscience, some have too hard of a conscience. The weak referred to in verse one refused to eat meat. The strong feel free to eat anything. And then you get the explanation in verse 2. But then now, in verse 3, Paul's going to exhort strongly. He's going to tell the strong not to despise the weak, and the weak not to judge the strong. Look at verse 3. And, and roll with this with me. I'm just going to explain who is being referred to here. Verse 3, let not the one who eats, strong, despise or look down on the one who abstains, the weak. Let not the one who abstains, the weak, Pass judgment on the one who eats the strong. Because this, God has welcomed them. God accepts all believers. So he's correcting both groups. He's telling one group, stop looking down on them. He's telling the other group, stop sitting in judgment. 
You see this? Are you with me here? Is this making sense? I hope you're grasping this because this is going to make a big difference how you live this afternoon. It's going to make a big difference how you treat people later on today. Despise here literally means to consider them as nothing, to treat them with contempt. Judge here means to pass a sentence and say they're not valid, they're guilty, they're to be rejected. It's interesting about this. You can actually apply this to yourself uh, as the answer for your self-hatred or your lingering feelings of inadequacy. You say, wait, I shouldn't despise myself. I shouldn't judge myself all the time. I'm chosen in Christ. I'm beloved. I'm, I'm blessed beyond belief in Christ. I'm deeply loved in Christ. I'm valued. I'm called to eternal glory in Christ. I have a living hope in Christ. What this passage is telling us is whether, whatever you, wherever you land, you know, vegetarian or eat meat, in this Christian context, realize God has accepted every believer, all Christians, so don't look down on them, don't judge them. Let them make their own choices. You, you worry about your choices. And there's a big difference, by the way, between life in the world and life among believers, okay? There just is. You can go to a coffee house, you can have your bubble of privacy. You know, you can put your, you know, your, your, uh, your AirPods in, your earphones in, whatever, and say, I'm going to put my nose in a book, and I don't want to be social. I'm in a, I'm in a public place, but I, I want to stay private. You can do that. But you come into a Christian gathering, you can't do that. You come into a Christian gathering, and you look around, and you realize there's a bunch of people here who I didn't personally choose. I didn't even invite them here today. Right? How many times have you had problems with people, and you're like, I can't believe they're in the service I'm in? you got issues. So do I, so do I. Human nature turns our chairs into judgment seats, right? That's what we do. We compare ourselves to others, we, we think we're better, or we're worried that we're not better. What we find is that it's wrong to judge when we disdain other people. God has accepted both the weak and the strong, therefore it's very inappropriate for us to disdain them or to judge them. All believers are gonna stand, that's what we're gonna see in verse four. God gives us standing in Christ. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Regarding whatever biblically unstipulated issue you are fixated with right this moment. You know, past generations were fixated on certain things like you couldn't play cards if you're a Christian. You, you couldn't dance if you're a Christian. Um, for, through all the ages, you know, what do you do with alcohol? And What's the wise use of alcohol? Uh, people get all, you know, worried about politics and and child-rearing specifics, right? Here's how you're supposed to bring your kid up. And it says here, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? The servant there, that word means household slave. In God's household, the slave of Christ, the one who belongs to another. You're not your own, and, and that person doesn't belong to you. And it says that before his own master, literally responsible to another, he stands or falls, and he will be upheld because the Lord is able to make him stand. Just like he's helping you to stand. And what that means is just grow in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. Be secure in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. But you deal with that. Don't look around and say, well, look what everybody else is doing. What? That's a great question, isn't it? Who are you? Who are you to go around judging Jesus' servants? They, they belong to him. He's not worried about their food. You shouldn't be either. 
their choices, their opinions, their convictions. So it tells us, you know, basically, don't be so anxious. Don't be so anxious and try to put extra rules in place for everyone. If someone's faith is real, they're in Christ. They're going to stand. They're going to grow. They're going to continue on in Christ. But if their faith is not real, there's nothing you can do about it. You can pray for them. You can share the gospel with them. But no extra rules is going to help them if they're not a believer. You need your prayer, not your petty control. See, the gospel is always God's answer. And the gospel here is, is God's answer to your worries and to your anxiety over what everyone else is doing. If you're prideful, you just care about what everyone else thinks. But grace says, no, it depends on what God has already said about them and about you. His opinion matters the most. So it's wrong to judge when, when you downplay others' opinions and convictions. So these first four verses give us this, this beautiful truth. Every believer is accepted by God. Therefore, we need to accept every believer. Now moving on to the second point is this, and it really builds, and it builds strong. Every believer is under the lordship of Christ. That's the other reason why you're not to judge or disdain one another, because every believer is under the lordship of Christ, not under your lordship. Verses five through nine tells us this. Verse five, look at verse five. One person esteems one day better. Another esteems every day alike. Esteems means they've judged it, they've thought it through, and they've come to a conclusion. You can have differences where you land with some people, uh, disagreements, but they don't relate not only to food here, but now to observing particular days. You notice this? There were festivals to the Lord, and there were certain days, and the weak would hold that some days are above others. The strong would say, uh, every day's the same. But what we're seeing in this passage is both options are fine. Both options are fine. God isn't worried. God's not worried. So someone celebrates a certain day as holy to the Lord. Another person says every day is the same as every other day. They're all holy to God. This is like someone may celebrate biblical Christmas more enthusiastically than you. You'll be like, ooh, they're following a pagan holiday. No, they're worshiping Jesus. Each, it says, should be fully convinced. That literally means be filled completely with assurance. To be certain uh, that everyone be sure as you're honoring Christ in your own mind that you're doing what honors Christ. You're not breaking the word of God. You're not disobeying God. You're just wanting to please Christ. Look at verse six. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And look how many times the, uh, in honor of the Lord and, and the Lord is, is focused on here. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Give thanks to God. That person gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So these options are accept, acceptable because those observing special days do so in honor of the Lord. You go back to the food issue, those who, who eat do so legitimately because they eat to the Lord. They eat to the Lord. It's verified by thanksgiving to God. They're giving thanks to God. Those abstaining from eating do so for God's glory as well. They give thanks to God. I, an idolatrous heart doesn't thank God. An idolatrous heart doesn't you know, glorify God. The key here, they, they want to serve the Lord. They're making choices to honor him. Don't be so worried about what they're doing. The Lord, that means to rule. This is a very Christ-centered passage. 
It's about the sovereignty of our Savior. It's about the Lordship of Christ. It's about his absolute right to rule over us and our absolute inability to rule over anyone else. So different practices among different Christians that do not violate biblical or moral norms, whether you eat, whether you don't, whether you drink, whether you don't, do it to the glory of God. This is what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. You eat or drink must be to the glory of God. That's after a really long discussion of food sacrificed to idols. From chapter 8, verse 1 to chapter 10, verse 30. Colossians 3.17 uh, puts the same thought another way, that we must do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you do everything to honor Jesus and, and praise Jesus. Uh, that indicates that thanksgiving to the Father is one indication that all things are being done in Jesus' name. Romans 14, giving thanks, indicates the actions practiced are to the Lord. They're thanking God. Now let me give you a disclaimer here, okay? This is a disclaimer. This does not mean that if you hold some false doctrine, some false teaching, and you're sincere about it, that God's going to look the other way, that God's going to be okay with you because you're sincere. No, you're sincerely wrong on that. Right? So if you hold to some false teaching, false doctrine, but you're sincere about it, God's still going to correct you for it. He's not going to overlook that. Uh, the Bible is very clear, and especially the New Testament, over and over again, hold sound doctrine, uh, corrections against false teaching, encouragement to hold what is true and right and to handle the word accurately. But what's wrong is when you think you can determine the motives of someone else, this is why they did it, I know it, they always do things like this. Now look at verse seven. Under the lordship of Christ, none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. Verse eight, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to Christ. This is amazing assurance. For every believer in Jesus, you belong to Jesus no matter what. You just keep reminding yourself of that. Like Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am sure, I am convinced, I'm filled with assurance that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Every Christian has this assurance. It's like the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Paul and Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Honor the Lordship of Christ in the body of Christ. Verse nine tells us, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. Literally, he's the Lord of every Christian. Both the strong and the weak live and die under the lordship of Christ. And all the different practices that we might want to do are endorsed by God because when we attempt to please God and are under the word of God, we realize oh, we're not living to ourselves, we're not dying to ourselves. Our goal is to please God in everything and thank Him for His gifts. Uh, life and death are not in my control, they're in God's hands. He is sovereign over both. But what do a lot of Christians do? They, they judge or they disdain. And they even deny someone's relationship with God. Like, well, they must not be a real believer if they do that. Because strong believers do this. Good believers do that. 
That's not something the Bible even says you should do or not do. It's a matter of conscience. Do what you want. Please God and, and, and love the Lord. Christ is Lord both of the dead and the living. By virtue of what? Think about it. By virtue of what? His death and resurrection. His death and resurrection. He's the Lord of life. He's the Lord of death because he conquered death at his resurrection. So we should not look down on each other. We should not wrongly judge. Now let's say you have been wrongly judged. Let's say you're like, yeah, but you don't understand all the pain I've been through. I've been wrongly judged. Let me just say this. Welcome to the club. I'll make you a membership card. I'll laminate it for you, okay? Welcome to the club. You've been wrongly judged? Oh my goodness. You know, this is why Romans 14 exists. To correct those that are wrongly judging you. And correct you for wrongly judging other people. So welcome to the club. And think this. You've been wrongly judged? Think about how much Jesus has forgiven you. Take the high road. Overlook the offense. Forbear. If you have to confront it, confront it if you must. But seek clarity. Ask questions. They're probably working off of, of inaccurate information. Isn't that true? Most of the time when you're falsely judged, you, they've just got wrong info. You've got to find it in your heart to forgive them or just let it go. But I want you to do this. You're being wrongly judged. Remember how it feels. Remember how it feels. Put that in your pocket so that you will not do that to someone else. And you're tempted to do that to someone else. Don't retaliate. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Died in your place for your sins, a debt you could never repay. Every believer is accepted by God, verses 1 to 4. Every believer is under the lordship of Christ, verses 5 to 9. And then the third reason, and this builds upon the first two. The third reason, verses 10 through 12, every believer will be judged by God. Every believer. Without without distinction every believer will be judged by god look at verse 10 why do you that's the weak pass judgment on your brother the strong or you the strong why do you despise your brother the weak we will all stand before the judgment seat of god you know what stand means it's a tech term for standing in front of a judge well they will put the sentence down everyone's going to give an account god's going to judge so we have no business judging his servants why? Verse 11, for it is written, this is the quote of Isaiah 43, excuse me, 45, 23. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Confess here means to acknowledge and give praise. Bowing and confessing is indicating submission to the lordship of, of Christ, acknowledging his lordship. So the implications come from the lordship of Christ. He is the Lord and judge. Totally inappropriate for believers to judge or despise each other. All will stand before God's judgment seat. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, as you read verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. You may also be thinking of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. It says that God highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But this idea of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing is embedded in the context of Isaiah 45. 
verse 20 in Isaiah 45, God is basically telling the nations, assemble together, come on, get together, all the survivors of the nations, all those who are carrying wooden idols who have no knowledge, and, and take counsel together, come before me, I'm the judge. He's asking, there, who declared this to you? Was it not I, the Lord? He says, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Then he says to the whole world, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Literally, the word will not fall. And here's the word. What is quoted here in verse 11? To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. He goes on. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be judged and shall glory, and shall be justified and shall glory. And what he's saying here is the Messiah is going to save, the Messiah is going to judge, and all will bow before him. All will acknowledge the lordship of God Almighty. Verse 12 sums it up. Each one shall give an account of himself to God. There you have it. Every believer is going to stand before God. 2 Corinthians 5 assures us, you know, we would rather be at home with the Lord and be absent from the body, but either way, we make it our aim to please him. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So it's wrong to judge when we discount our own accountability to God. We're accountable to him. But we discount our accountability when our conscience isn't tender, when our heart is hard. When that happens, all kinds of hijinks happen. <laughs> all kinds of hyperjudgment happens. Some of you are like, hey, all right, I get it, but when can I judge someone? When can I set them straight? Your heart is not in the right place on this. God wants you to be tenderhearted towards people. That's what this is about. Don't look for opportunities to correct. Look for opportunities to avoid correcting it. A lot needs to be corrected in the body of Christ, but guess what? The group self-corrects. When Christians are in fellowship with one another and the Lord, they do what Christians do. You know how many times as a pastor, I've had people come to me and say, you need to set so-and-so straight for what they did to me? I'm like, no, 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 go and do what Christians do. If you want to overlook it, great. If you want to pursue this, go talk with them lovingly and kindly and patiently. If they don't listen to you, bring someone else. But I'm not going to triangulate for you. And by the way, here's what Christians do. They do all the one another's. And it's for your comfort and for your correction. We have to obey this passage today and apply it into our lives. And, you know, let it sink deep into your heart. We have to talk about some things, right? We've got to talk about some things. Like ruts. Let's talk about ruts. The, the judging rut we get into. There's a sign on an Alaskan highway somewhere that says, choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it for the next 150 miles. <laughs> we have this pres preset condition in our hearts where we constantly judge. And we don't even realize how much we're doing it. It's like we have this persistent cough or sniffle that we don't even know we're doing, but everyone around us, it drives them crazy. So there's ruts. There's also regret. A lot of us regret our judging ruts, and that's the first step in coming to our senses. If you're regretting it, if you're regretting being like that, 
Well, let's talk repentance. That comes next, right? There's a sweet gift of God's grace. His kindness leads us to repentance. So you, you turn from your wicked ways, you turn from your deceitful ways and your treacherous dealings, and you deal in Christ-honoring repentance, where you turn from your sins and confess your sins, and it leads to restoration, it leads to reconciliation, where you have a clear conscience before God and man, and there's, there's no whiff of guile, there's no stench of superiority on your part. You're humble before God. And then what happens you can rejoice in Christ. Let's talk about rejoicing in Christ. You rejoice in Christ when you know the, the gospel truth of the grace that God pours out on us and you're, you're allowed to see by God's grace once again how, how as far as the, as the east is from the west, that's as far as God has removed our transgressions from us. When a heart rejoices in gospel truth and, and then we dwell together in unity with other believers. We're not hung up on all the things we think we don't like about them. The future judgment is coming. We gotta talk about future judgment, right? It's right here in the passage. Under the Lordship of Christ, we will be judged by the Lord of glory. We have a living hope in Christ. We talk about sin and depravity. When, when it comes to showing mercy, when it, when it comes to um, showing kindness, we're, we're way more generous with ourselves and we're stingy with other people. Our sin nature just rears its ugly head. We're, it's like a weed that just takes root and takes over. It's like our feet are in quicksand. It's like we're walking through a spider web. It's like we have gum on our shoe. We make a tangled mess of everything. and We don't know how to fix it. And once again, the gospel is your answer. Jesus paid for your sin and freed you in Christ from sin if you're a believer. And, and your sin is the cause of your judgmental attitude and actions. Every believer in Jesus who have put their faith in Christ and believe his finished work on the cross is sufficient to save, believe that he died for their sins and rose from the dead, they're uncondemned. Romans 8.1 says that. We're uncondemned. But here's what happens. Those uncondemned turn around and want to condemn the uncondemned. Don't be guilty of being in league with Satan on this one. Romans 14, 1 to 12, to the rescue. It gives us our problem, but also the Christ-honoring solution. Imagine a world where no one judges. Just nobody judges anybody. No one, no one looks down on people. No one, no one gets their exercise jumping to conclusions about other people that everyone's just understanding and accepting. Do you have that utopia in your mind right here? It's called heaven. It's called heaven. Now, now I want you to picture a place where everybody blames everybody for everything. Punitive, pessimistic, judging you know, rashly, judging roughly, and there's no concern for anyone. That's a living hell. And a lot of Christians seem to be happy to live in a living hell. And they trade the gospel beauty for filthy rags. The uncondemned should be the most accepting people on the planet. Romans 14 teaches us how to have a, have a, have a Christ-centered, clear conscience where we, where we firmly believe every believer is accepted by God. 
and that every believer is under the lordship of Christ and every believer will be judged by God. That should push against the way we think. That should push against the way we've been acting at times. And you have to ask this question. So, so why is it so important? Why does it matter so much? Why? Why is this such a big deal? It's because judging and disdaining fosters pride and literally makes you an enemy of God. James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But when you accept other believers, when you welcome your, your brothers and sisters in Christ without looking down on them and, and without judging them, what that fosters is deep Christ-centered worship. Where you're not just singing songs, but all day long you are worshiping the Lord of glory. And, and Christ-exalting gospel proclamation where you can unhindered share the gospel with other people, where you, where you can dependently pray. That's fostered when we accept one another. A growing, harmonious church is fostered when you don't judge and we don't disdain. And a humble love is seen. What helps you be accepting? It's interesting. What helps you be accepting? You know what helps you be accepting? A health scare. A tragedy in someone's life, an emergency, a crisis. Well, every day there is an emergency or crisis somewhere. We don't know everyone's backstory. We don't know everyone what's going on. But here's what we have to do. We have to decide to receive one another no matter what. This is like marriage. You receive one another as a gift from God. And you, and you give room to learn and grow. You give space to make mistakes. Because when we judge and when we look down on people, all the Christ-honoring good stuff comes to a grinding halt. So it behooves us to take this to heart. It really does. We have to heed this message and trust God to help us live it out. Amen? All right, well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you knew what you were doing when you put your church together. And you knew what you were doing when you put us together in this time and place. And we acknowledge that you want us all to become less judgmental today and more accepting. We want to trade our judgment seats in. And even that microscope or the magnifying glass that we, that we use so often to study other people's imperfections. Lord, may we, may we uh, magnify Jesus' perfections instead. All for your glory. All for your glory in Christ. In whose name we pray. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.